following talk is taken from the Advent Women's Retreat 2020 at All Saints Anglican Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. The talk, which focuses on the Magnificat, was given by Bishop Chad Jones. Enjoy. Well, let's have a little look now at the Magnificat, this great hymn of Our Lady. Now, first of all, it would do well to recite the Magnificat, and then we'll just briefly go through it and try to apply it here. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath opened his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. All right, so the Magnificat is recited every day in evening prayer, and it is the first canticle after the the first lesson. We have the psalm, and then we have the lesson, and then we have the Magnificat. The Magnificat is the Latin for, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And that is the first thing that we find. Now, this hymn echoes what we find in the Old Testament. This was first inspired as the song of Hannah. When Hannah sings about Samuel and the remarkable circumstances of his conception and birth, and Samuel is offered to the Lord, and Hannah sings her own version of the Magnificat, the one that is the basis, in fact, for what Our Lady sings in the New Testament. This hymn is about the goodness of God and the grace of God, which is conferred upon her and upon all of us. As we think about the church during this Advent season, the domestic church, and how it is that we can serve Christ and implant his faith more deeply in the lives of those we love and in our home life. The Magnificat is very much from the heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This is a revelation of her interiority. This is a revelation of her interior heart and mind, her inner disposition. She is crying out, she is singing, from the very heart. And so we get to hear something that's actually quite rare probably in scripture, the inner prayer life of an individual. In this case, it's not merely the inner prayer life of just any individual, it's the inner prayer life of the one who was chosen to be the mother of God. Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh, the second person of the blessed Trinity, incarnate, taking flesh, in her womb. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice that she sings from the depth of her soul and heart that she magnifies and worships the Lord. And that, of course, is any corrective, as we were just saying a few moments ago, about the idea of glorifying Mary apart from Jesus Christ. What does Mary do? 
maybe we need to get a bracelet that says WWMD. What would Mary do? Mary magnifies the Lord. Now her soul magnifies the Lord because she has been endowed with the fullness of divine grace. She is called full of grace by the archangel Gabriel. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. She has been given a measure of grace that is beyond measure because of her unique and special, absolutely distinctive role as being the one who will bear God, be the birth giver of God. Her soul magnifies the Lord. That's both in an objective way because her soul is full of grace, but it's also that subjective way. She is singing praise. Her soul magnifies the Lord. She offers that to God as an active, not merely passive, but an active act of praise. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my savior. Right. Mary needs a savior too. God is her savior and our savior. Mary has to have a savior because she's a human being like all the rest of us. And God is her savior and her spirit rejoices in that savior who is God. Now in this beautiful passage, we note that Christians for all time will honor and venerate the Virgin Mary, for she prophesies here that all generations will call her blessed. And of course, this is all given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Magnificat is inspired scripture. All Christians will call her blessed. And it's impossible to believe that Christians would not bless her for being the one whom God chose to be, the true mother of God, the true Theotokos or God-bearer. Mary ascribes all of this work to God, the miracle of the incarnation, the miracle of her own fullness of grace and the gift of her life of grace is all attributed to God, not to herself. Never do we see in the Magnificat that in any way Our Lady contributes anything to herself. It is entirely the grace of God. And we see that now, because all of this is sola gratia, grace alone, she manifests a deep humility and a great knowledge that God is the source of all grace. And through the incarnation, God reigns over all people and God reverses the roles that human beings have tried to establish. So let's continue to look at that. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. Mary says that she is the handmaid of the Lord and she possesses this humility because she sees God for what he is doing in her life and what he plans to do in the story of salvation. He hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. She is truly humble. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. And every time we sing this hymn or say, say this hymn, that's exactly what we do. We call her blessed. So that prophecy is fulfilled. One of the most notable prophecies in all of scripture from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. And indeed, all generations of Orthodox Christians from the first century to this present moment have declared that Mary is the blessed virgin. All generations shall call me blessed. But why? For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. He that is mighty hath raised her up, hath magnified, magnified her, Again, because of the incarnation, that God has chosen her 
to be the unique agent of the incarnation, that God himself took flesh in her body and assumed human nature from her, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. The whole story of the gospel is about God's mercy. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So here we see that because of the incarnation, there is this role reversal that those who exalt themselves will be abased and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So the pattern that the Magnificat presents to us is that we should seek to live in a, the grace of, of humility, which is given to us. Humility is a virtue that we are called to inculcate to practice, and practice is necessary for the virtues. The more we practice them, the more we advance in them. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. Again, those who are powerful are overthrown. Those who are meek, those who have self-control, those who practice humility, those people are exalted. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. This is to show that God is in control, and he can in redemption reverse all the things that are anticipated to occur on the secular level or on any level that is profane or separated from God. God demonstrates that he can turn things upside down. He remembering his mercy hath hope in his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. This final phrase is really key. Remembering his mercy, he hath hope in his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Mary, as the virgin daughter of Zion, is the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ, her divine son, is the fulfillment of all of what the prophets have said about the Messiah. The greatest hope any Jewish woman could have would be to be the mother of the Messiah. And it was for this purpose that Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees and was called to establish a covenant with God that finally the Messiah would be brought into the world. This is the purpose for the whole gathering of Israel as the first ecclesia, the first called out ones to be God's chosen and consecrated people, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a people set apart. The purpose of the Jewish people was to bring to the world the Messiah, who would be the son of Abraham, the son of David, the one who would redeem the nations. And Mary takes her place, seeing that God in her life has always directed his purposes. And as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever, she remembers the mercy that God has given to his people, Israel. Mary is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and in her birth giving of God is the fulfillment of Israel, Abraham, and his seed forever. In Galatians chapter 3, it says that those who are in Christ are the heirs of Abraham and receive the promise of Abraham. And Mary, giving birth to the Messiah as the mother, the queen mother of the Messiah, therefore links the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the promises of Israel and Abraham and his seed are accomplished. So the theology of this is very critical 
in terms of salvation history. Wonderful. Now, let me go here to the screen. And that concludes my brief meditation on the Magnificat. Just to put you in an Advent frame of mind, in an Advent mood. <laughs> and let's, uh, let's open things up here again. My time is running short. I've got about five minutes, but we could take a little bit more if you have comments or questions about this. The main theme of the Magnificat, of course, is God's mercy. And that is what we should keep before ourselves, particularly in this beautiful Advent and Christmas season, that every Christian is called to reproduce the life of Mary. She was the first disciple, as St. Augustine put it, she conceived Christ in her heart by faith, before, uh, through the hearing of the word of the angel, before she conceived Christ in her womb by the Holy Spirit. And another way of putting it is that she gave birth to Christ first by hearing the gospel in the ear and believing in her heart. The word of the angel received by the ear transformed her heart and she believed. And she acknowledges that it is all God's grace that has brought her to this position it is God who is magnified in her, just as God seeks to be magnified in each one of us and in our families, in our relationships, in our personal lives. God wants to be magnified and glorified in us. Mary is the prototypical Christian. And so what she describes is what she seeks and hopes for us as fellow members of the body of Christ, that what the Lord Jesus did in her life he will do in ours and replicate and reproduce his life. One theologian has put it this way, the entire story of salvation, the entire journey of salvation is having Jesus Christ reproduce his life in us by the Holy Spirit, that we are really transformed by grace to participate in the life of God. Mary experienced that, and that is exactly what she details in the Magnificat. That is expressed towards us that we would join her, that we would be fellow companions with her as we seek to be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus, and that God would grant his humility, his grace, that our souls might magnify the Lord, that we may glory in God our Savior, and that we may be magnified by being humble as well. So that's the pattern that we look at for being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and by living the theological virtues. Um, here's a question. Can we expound on Mary's need for a Savior? Do we need a Savior because we're human or because we're sinful? If Mary was without sin, why does she need a Savior? That's a great question. Wow. Oh, and someone found 1 Samuel chapter 2, right? I probably failed to mention Hannah's song, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2 is the, is the original Magnificat on which Mary then builds hers in Luke chapter one. Uh, Mary needs a savior because she, like every other human being, is born into this fallen and corrupted world. Uh, we can speak of our existence when we come into this world as ancestral sin. Sometimes we speak of it as original sin, but it is most helpful, I think, to think of the condition into which we are born as a condition of mortality, of corruption, of separation from life. With the disobedience of Adam and Eve, there was a corruption of the created order, uh, a sort of twisting, a marring, a 
perversion of creation, the introduction of death and disease and fallenness. And we call this original sin or ancestral sin. It is a condition, it is a state of death. And Mary, like all of us, was conceived and born into that. So she would certainly need a savior as we all do. She needs a savior because she is human and she is human after the fall. And for that reason, must have a savior as we all do. And Jesus Christ is her savior. Mary is without sin, according to church tradition, uh, upon her gift of the grace of baptism. Now, there is no one specific doctrine on this. Uh, there is the conjecture of the Roman Catholic Church called the Immaculate Conception. That's a pious theory, a pious opinion or belief that is not binding on Anglican Christians and was not believed by Christians generally in the first millennium. The more ancient view would be that Mary was conceived and born as all human beings are, and that at the Annunciation, when the Holy Ghost overshadowed her and caused Christ to be conceived in her womb, she received then that fullness of grace, which we would describe as simply the grace of Christian baptism. Think of it that way, that by God's intervention, the Holy Spirit was given to her to make her the pure mother of God and to cleanse her from sin. And that happened at the Annunciation, according to the one of the earliest traditions. Uh, this is all very much a, a mystery, but the reason why Mary has to be like us in this respect is that the human nature that Mary gives to Christ in the incarnation has to be identical to our own. If what human nature Mary gives to Christ in the incarnation is not like ours, then the incarnation isn't really God assuming our human nature, but something else. Or think of it this way. God creates a new human nature, in a sense, in the womb of Mary, because remember that Jesus is miraculously conceived by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin, and there is no human seed. There is no human father. God creates in the womb of Mary, like a new paradise, the new Adam, and Christ takes from Mary his human nature. Mary needs to be like us in order for that human nature to be our stuff, our human nature. And so indeed Christ does take that from Mary, who is purified and sanctified and filled with grace. And that is why she needs a savior. Jesus is her savior and comes to save her by being conceived in her body and born of her body. That's a great question. So we had there also about Hannah. We identified that. Now, can we speak more to God's desire to be magnified in us? Yes. God is magnified in the human person who is completely regenerated and sanctified in his son. It makes one think of the phrase, again, from St. Irenaeus of Lyon and other church fathers, the image of God is man fully alive. We were created in the image and likeness of God to be like God forever with him. The human destiny is to be Trinitarian, to participate in the life of God, to become by grace what God is by nature. The church calls this theosis. 
It is to become like God. God made us from love, through love, for love, to be in God who is love forever, and to enjoy and to ever experience the communion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to live in the life of God himself, to be one with him, to have union with God. We call that theosis. And when that process is underway in us, God is magnified because it is God himself doing this work. That is why uh, very often we could say, grace is God graciously and gratuitously, gratuitously working in his own people. Grace is God himself working in us. And when that happens, God magnifies and glorifies himself in and through our lives. God wants each and every one of us to be an image, a likeness of the Holy Trinity. He wants us to resemble Jesus Christ, to be Christ, to be a recapitulation of Christ in every respect. That's the process that leads to our salvation. And when that happens, God is magnified in us. Mary is the first example of this. Again, she's the first believer. She's the first Christian. She hears the gospel and believes it. And through that, the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ takes place by the Holy Spirit. Mary is the first churchman, the first Christian, the first evangelical. She is the prototype. And what happens to her happens to us. So she can sing in the Magnificat about what God has done to her and in her. And by extension, then, she is speaking of what happens to all who are called according to God's purpose and incorporated into the life of Jesus Christ. So God is magnified in us as we cooperate with his will, as we seek his will above all things and allow his will then to shape our lives. Salvation consists in the alignment of our will with God's will. And when that happens, God can work inside of us and transform us from the inside out. And our destiny is to become godlike. At the resurrection, at the last day, that's what we're called to be. We are called to resemble Jesus Christ. Hopefully, that starts to take root in us here. <laughs> and now, that's, that's what the grace of God is all about. Wonderful questions. I think I have now run out of time, and I want to thank you so much for having me today. Uh, are there any other final comments or questions? I am sorry I've been rambling a bit and going hither and yon today, but when you have a, a study or, or a retreat with me, I'm afraid that happens. So uh, thank you so much for having me along with you today and God bless you. Thank you so much.